Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Today we are discussing The Mother of Tears, the third mother, which is the third entry in our Dario Argento Three Mothers retrospective series leading up to the November remake of Suspiria. I know that's quite a mouthful saying Three Mothers, Mother of Tears, all in different orders and different ways. I practiced a bit beforehand, <laughs> so I didn't mess it up. But yeah, this is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan from Chicago. Uh, it took him long enough to make the sequel. Something like, what, 27 years? Yeah, yeah. It only took, you know, you know, almost three decades, 27 years. Not too bad. So, yeah. I mean, if you were a teenager, 17 years old in 1977... Watching Suspiria in theaters, you enjoyed it. You come back three years later when you're 20 to watch the sequel Inferno in 1980. Well, you only had to wait till you were 44 years old to watch the third movie. Great. Middle aged. <laughs> Great. Yeah, just enough time to, uh, oh, I guess it would be to almost be a, have an empty nest at that point. Oh, yeah. Getting close. And I. I don't even think we can make the Blade Runner 2049 comparison because honestly, I don't think anybody was ever really expecting a sequel to that movie. Right, right. Yeah, no, that wasn't exactly uh, leaving it open for a sequel. It was just kind of its own standalone movie. And then Blade Runner 2049, for the most part, is also its own standalone movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Whereas this is clearly the concluding entry that was talked about in... I mean, even from the outset, Argento was saying it's going to be three movies. It's about three mothers. Each movie is going to take a look at the mother. They'll be loosely connected. And then all of a sudden, after Inferno, we we don't get anything. And I watched some of the special features on the Mother of Tears DVD. And Argento basically said he just kind of forgot about <laughs> making the third movie. Oh, no. <laughs> He's I... like... That's really funny. I know that I know they had I think a first draft in 84, I want to say, or at least the makings of a first draft that Nicole had mentioned, and then nothing came of it. They she said it in interviews and stuff like that that oh yeah, she had a draft and then nothing happened until about 2003. Yeah. So, and I mean it would make sense that they would have a draft. I mean, at that point because inferno heavily teased the third mother even going so far as to have an elongated sequence in the first act dedicated to her right. which you can hear our thoughts on in our inferno review which is out now so yeah most suspected the mother of tears would be at least out not too far into the 80s and you're right they did work on a, a draft together but I read in 1985, they got a divorce from each other, which I think is possible. I don't have any evidence to corroborate this, but I think that probably shelved the third movie for such a long time. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense for that to happen. And yeah, like you said, in 2003, Argento announced that he was writing the script for the third movie and he hoped to start shooting in mid-2004. And yeah, there was nothing from his ex-wife's 1980s script that he was going to reuse at all. And he stated in a Fangoria interview, the third movie will focus on 
as Argento puts it, the Christian Church's persecution of Gnosticism. For those of you who don't know what Gnosticism is, it was one of the first heresies the Church had to combat in the 1st and 2nd century. Gnosticism taught secret knowledge from Jesus and the material world is evil. And honestly, Gnosticism is still alive, most recently and most notably with Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code books, uh, which just so happened to be published and blew up right when Argento said he wanted to write a movie about Christianity and Gnosticism. Coincidence? Coincidence that they have two movies named after he named similar, same titles? Probably not, but yeah. Hmm. Inter- yeah, right. Very, very interesting. Uh, Argento also originally wanted to cast a Russian model as the third mother. I don't know why Russian specifically. And he also said the movie would open in medieval times. And he did confirm Anna Pieroni, who cameoed as the third mother in Inferno, which you had to tell me about because I was super confused during the movie. He said, no, she will not be reprising her role, which would make sense because she would be quite old at this point right i think the reason why he would have gone for a russian model is because of the term mother russia (laughs) that is the only thing i can think of that would cause him to get a russian model specifically russian model that'd be so cool yeah (laughs) well so anyways everything argento said wasn't true and it took about two years later and he brought on writers Jace Anderson and Adam Giersch to write the script with them. I won't get into that backstory, but they had really not really written anything before. And I read in another Fangoria article, the writer said the film would in fact not be called The Third Mother, but Mater Lacrimarum, which is Latin for the Mother of Tears. But it wasn't going to be called The Mother of Tears, it was going to be called that latin title which i just said that would be confusing i mean to be fair no there really is no uh consistency with these titles it's not suspiria suspiria 2 or mother 1 mother 2 it's suspiria inferno mother of tears there's really no consistency with these titles just whatsoever uh no but yeah having um having the title named mater lacrimarium would be really weird compared to the other two titles we've already got. It would be, especially because the other two were just one word, and they were both, for the most part, I assume Suspiria is kind of an English adapt adaptation of the word. Right. But yeah, I mean, Suspiria, I didn't even understand what the title meant after watching the movie. I don't even see how Inferno has anything to do with the second movie, except he's probably hoping people will think of Dante's Inferno somehow. I guess we could draw some parallels with how he descends into the building and there's fire and whatnot but whatever yeah, that's that, i think that's probably where the title comes in is inferno dante's inferno essentially he's gone going through hell yes. or whatever level it is i'm guessing that's probably the reason for the title of inferno and the early script for the third movie apparently the script would begin immediately after inferno with a witch who survived the destruction of mater tenenbrahm's home watching a detective supposedly who's going to be played by ennio fantastichini investigating a series of murders at a university other tentative cast members were chiara caselli as a psychiatrist max von sidow who was quite famous 
as a mysterious university professor and Giordano Petri as a young investigator who takes the cases when Fantascini's character is killed. So apparently Argento didn't like this idea. So he either fired the screenwriters or he basically took them out of the writing process. I couldn't find any clear uh, facts on this. Did you find anything? Only what Wikipedia said, which was he dismissed them. Yeah, I don't know. But nevertheless, they do still get credit for writing the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they probably could just be ideas. I know that... There is probably some rule about it in the uh, Directors Guild, like, sure. handbook yeah. about writing credits. So I'm guessing that's probably where that all came from. Uh, my guess is he probably didn't throw out everything that they thought about, or everything that they'd written down. Probably just pieces of it were taken from their ideas and sprinkled throughout the story. That's probably why they have a writing credit. I don't really know. I'm just speculating. Sure. Uh, there's also two other writers credited. I have no idea what capacity they helped in. Walter Fasano and Simona Simonetti. Uh, so there's about five people working on the script. Um, a lot of ideas being thrown out. I guess we'll talk about what is the ultimate product here in just a minute. But also shooting was pushed back by another year. And a massive misinformation campaign ensued about different titles for the movie. Sienna Miller from the movie Stardust and G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra being cast as the lead. And apparently the movie would be Vintage Argento. Hmm. I don't know. Pretty much none of that's true. So (laughs) uh, finally in 2006, Argento's daughter, Asia, or as Argento pronounced it in the features... Asia was cast as the lead after she asked her father for the part. Also cast were Cristiano Solomio, Adam James, Moran Atias, Valeria Cavalli, Felipe Leroy, Daria Nicolodi, and Udo Kier, who, okay, Daria Nicolodi played a different person in Inferno, and Udo Kier played a different person in Suspiria. I was very confused only until, like, Five minutes ago before the recording, did I sort this out? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So before its theatrical distribution, Medusa Film asked Argento to cut the hardcore gore, sex, and nudity in order for it to be more mainstream and viewable for a wider audience. Which makes sense. I I can't even imagine this movie in its uncut form, which I did watch, being released in theater and not receiving just an X rating. Right. This one, I'll be honest, it's kind of hard to find which version you're actually watching. Usually you can tell by the runtime because the unrated cut is going to typically be longer. Right. Uh, This one, there's maybe like 20, 30 seconds more of unrated content when you really look at the runtime. And most places don't publish the seconds of the runtime, just the hours and minutes. Right. So that's one problem. Second problem is the only place I could find that you could rent it, which I, was iTunes, and it has the wrong poster because it says the poster says it's the unrated version, oh. but it's actually the R-rated version. I watched it and I checked. I think Movie Censorship, the one that you checked out. Yeah. Um, and the things that was on Movie Censorship that said it was taken out were actually taken out. So the one on iTunes is the R-rated version, not the unrated version. The poster is wrong interesting yeah Yeah. i got it through dvd netflix the poster said unrated 
on Netflix. It said unrated. I got the disc. It was the unrated version. And yeah, basically the best way to tell is if you have a lot more nudity and a lot more graphic violence. So Right. Uh, but even then it's hard to tell because it's like a couple seconds or as movie censorship had put it, a couple frames taken out. There's one big scene in particular that we will talk about that is a definitive answer if you're watching one of the one of the version or the other, but that doesn't come until the very end of the movie. Right. But Argento did acquiesce to their request. He did cut the content for at least the Italian theaters. Uh, and when it was released, it was a big ordeal with photos and small clips slowly coming out to build excitement. Trailers were being pirated. In a nutshell, people were getting really hyped. And only 20 minutes was screened at the Cannes Film Festival, despite the festival's request for it to be released in its entirety so it could be considered for competition. But the film actually wasn't finished yet. So it did premiere in September 2007 at TIFF, the Toronto Film Festival. And it was released in Italy on Halloween Day. And it did actually release uncut, apparently, in select cities in the U.S. in June 2008. But from what I found, it only released in seven theaters here in the United States. Ah, uh, yeah. So it was a very, very limited run. Probably yeah. art. I would say it's probably just art. I'm, I'm assuming. Probably just art house theaters that accepted it. That yeah. screened it, I guess, back in when it came out in 2007. Because uh, I know he wanted to get a pretty big uh, Hollywood studio to finance him, and he never did. He had to settle for Medusa, which is a subsidy of some company. Um, so he didn't... I, that's probably part of the reason, not being very big in the U.S., seven theaters only having such big of a production uh, than he wanted, I guess. Right, and I guess the biggest he got... Uh, for distribution would be the Weinstein Company under their Dimension label. Well, right. not even under their Dimension label. It was under their Dimension Extreme label. Uh, they right. released the DVD in September 2008. So in the United States, in those seven theaters, it grossed $58,000. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, what 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 do you expect? It's been 27 years <laughs> since the last movie that really nobody saw anyways. Right. And seven theaters, yeah. There's this makes a lot of sense that it only made so much money, like like no more than yeah, like you just said, fifty ish thousand dollars. And internationally, it grossed over a little over three million. So I guess not bad. I have no idea what the budget was for this movie. Yeah. Uh, reaction at the cons was mixed, with people saying the acting quality varied and the screenplay featured too much exposition but the cinematography was apparently beautiful. Once critic reviews started pouring in, they were mostly negative, to say the least. Only 49% of critics recommended it, most saying it was depraved, grotesque, nonsense, exploitative, and Argento had lost his touch. Yikes, that's not what you want to hear coming back to a, a movie <laughs> after all right. this time. Your film franchise that essentially put Dario Argento on the map with Suspiria in the United States, at the very least. Yes. So uh, what positives were said mostly came from the movies. Just They said it was trashy and cheesy and awkward as Ooh. possibly giving viewers a good time. Uh, anyways, viewers from IMDb have given the movie 5.1 stars out of 10, which is... Mm -hmm. 
yeah, that's a big drop because Inferno had a 6.7, which is good. It's pretty decent. And Suspiria had a high 7.5. Right. Yeah, this is one of those staircase deals where, according to the public at least, the first movie's the best, and then it just kind of keeps going down with every subsequent release that ha- that comes out. So, Alan, were you able to watch the trailer? I was. There was a trailer on iTunes um, that I watched, and it was essentially just the opening scene. Um, that, that's, there was basically, there was no title card or anything, oh. so I had to look it up on YouTube, and I found a trailer. Uh, but I'm assuming it's the trailer that they had released in 2007. So yes, I think I was able to find the trailer. Okay, the trailer that was presented on the DVD was uh, kind of a monologue from uh, Asia's character that said, my mother told me when I was little, a witch would find me. That's not in the movie. And uh, yeah, I guess the trailer is okay. It looks like a cliche early 2000s horror movie. Not really any good horror movies around that time anyway. So I wouldn't go see it based on that trailer. Yeah, the one I saw, I don't think it had... No, it didn't have the narration from Asia uh, Argento. It was just your basic narrator around this time. Uh, so yeah, my trailer was a bit different, I guess. Uh, it was fine. The one that I had, it was okay. Uh, it was more or less... It more or less followed the events of the movie for the most part. The Towards the end, it kind of gets a bit mixed up. But yeah, I mean, it's... It did a fine job, I guess, at making it look like an average two thousand mid two thousands ish horror film. It wouldn't have gotten me to go see it at all either. And I don't think it really looked all that scary from the trailer alone. I did also watch an Italian teaser, which was much better. It had some kind of violent imagery. I mean, not what you would see in the movie, but kind of leads you to that conclusion and it does evoke the first two movies it says after suspiria and inferno the trilogy is completed and that kind of drawed me that drew me into the movie a lot more so based on that trailer i'd be intrigued but i probably still wouldn't go spend money I, i would need a better reason for that yeah that makes sense so before we jump into the plot for the mother of tears We want to let you know that we are about to spoil this movie. So if for whatever reason you want to see this movie. (laughs) Or if you can. Or if you can. It's kind of hard to get your hands on. Yeah, if you can. uh, I don't want to tip my hand too early here. But be warned, there is a lot of, at least in the unrated version I saw, there is a lot of graphic nudity and... Just a bit more than what Alan saw. You see uh, some other lady parts that probably shouldn't be seeing. And uh, some really gory graphic violence. So just be warned of that. In the words of Argento himself, if you don't like gore and violence, then don't go see his movie. It's not for you. That's what he said on the feature after I watched the movie and found all of this out. Oh, good. Good. Rome, Italy, 2007. Construction workers are moving graves in a cemetery outside the city when they stumble upon the 19th century grave of Oscar de Valet. Strapped atop his coffin is an urn marked with pentagrams. Monsignor Brusca, played by Franco Leo, takes possession of the urn and sends it to Rome's ancient art museum director, Michael Pierce, played by Adam James, for examination. Before Michael arrives at the museum... Two museum investigators, Giselle 
played by Coralina Catatildi Tassoni, and Sarah, played by Asia Argento, open the urn, which contains evil artifacts, including a small shirt with evil runes. Three demons appear to brutally massacre Giselle and steal the shirt. Sarah watches the whole thing and runs for her life while being chased by a golden monkey. <laughs> oh, okay. When she is strapped... Uh, let me just say... <laughs> so she's being chased by a golden monkey, so essentially ripping off the Golden Compass movie. When she is trapped by a locked door, Sarah hears an ethereal voice command her to go now, allowing her to flee. Calling the police, Detective Enzo, played by Christian Solomeno, questions Sarah about the murder. He remains skeptical of Sarah's innocence. Michael takes Sarah back to his apartment where he lives with his young son, Paul. Michael and Sarah are intimately involved, but the two disagree on the supernatural world. Sarah claims they're scientists who should believe only what they can see, and Michael believes in a mystical, occultic aspect to this world. Meanwhile, the third mother, Mater Lacrimarum, I don't know how to pronounce it, that's as close as I'll get. The Mother of Tears, played by Israeli model Moran Atias, has awakened and her worshippers clothe her in the tunic, imbuing her with evil powers. With the awakening of the third mother, Rome has descended into anarchy. Mothers are throwing their babies off of bridges. People are stabbing, shooting, raping each other, and the police are helpless to stop them. Michael goes to see Monsignor Brusca, but learns he has been hospitalized due to a stroke. Michael learns from another priest at the hospital the legend of Oscar de Valle. In 1814, workers were renovating a church in Iosta, and these wolves came out of the forest and dug up uh, these freshly buried bodies. And I think they found this urn there, and Oscar volunteered to deliver the urn to the Vatican, and wherever he went, death and destruction followed him. And eventually he became sick and blind and died six days later, and the urn was chained to his coffin. The priest explains God's plans are, are a mystery to everyone but him, and the Monsignor wrote the letter and sent it to Michael for a reason. What that reason is, I don't think we ever find out, but whatever. While leaving the hospital, Michael sees the mysterious rocker gothic women making googly eyes at him. Oof. Later, Sarah is back in her bedroom where she is crying over pictures of her deceased mother. Another scene which confused me until later. She travels... Yeah, that makes a lot more sense now to me. Okay, good. <laughs> Guess that confused me as well. Yeah. <laughs> she travels to Michael's house to find Michael crying over his son's abduction. And written over his bed in blood are runes and the words, If you want to see your son again, keep the Salentium. The next day, gaggles of witches are flying in from all over the world to come to Rome to celebrate the return of the most cruel and beautiful of all the mothers. For some reason, Sarah ends up at a train station where she is pursued by an Asian witch with yellow eye makeup and the police. This whole scene confused me. Yeah, she was going to... If I remember right, she was going to find the guy that Michael went to go find. I forget his name right now. Uh, and so she goes to the train station to do this. Well, then she finds out that she's also being tracked by the police. And so she goes to hide from the police and then hops on the train. Then gets off the train, gets on the right train that takes her to uh, wherever Michael essentially uh, apparently went to. That's the reason for this scene. It is takes forever to get to the very end to get to the part that's actually important. 
which is she gets on the right train. But yeah, that's basically it. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it even then it's it's eh. a little muddled. Yeah. So yeah. ultimately, yeah. Sarah learns this sequence that she has the power to go invisible by basically just like squeezing her eyes shut really tight and you know putting her hands on her head. Anyways, uh, she does hop on the train where the Asian witch murders a detective and Sarah smashes the Asian witch's head like a pumpkin. Once she arrives in this little town, she is looking for Father Johannes, played by Udo Kier, who does play in Suspiria, but plays a different character. At the church, she also meets Marta Colossi, played by Valeria Cavalli, who knows her and her mother Elisa Mandy, played by Daria Nicolodi. Now, listeners, you might be a little confused because, wait a minute, Daria Nicolodi played in Inferno as Elise, not Elisa. I just found this out like an hour ago while writing this plot summary. I thought the character from the movie Inferno, Elise, was her mom. And I was like, oh, cool. They're tying it in that way. That's a massive retcon. That doesn't make any sense. But I guess that's not true. I guess this is a completely different person. Okay, so before the events of Suspiria, Elisa, who was Sarah's mother, fought the mother Suspiria and weakened her and turned her into a shell. That's why we see her in her weakened form in Suspiria. Right. But in doing so, Mother Suspiria caused her car, caused Elisa's car to crash, resulting in the death of Sarah's parents. Sarah also learns the voice she has been hearing is that of her mother. Both women meet Father Johannes, who explains a thousand years ago witchcraft was birthed by the Black Sea by the three sisters. I don't see how witchcraft could only be a thousand years old, but because we have texts talking about it way before then, but whatever. The who father. Knows? Yeah. Okay, so the father and two women are about to set out to stop the third mother when a housekeeper named Valeria brutally murders the priest in honor of the Mother of Tears. Now being chased by the villagers, the women barely escape back to Marta's apartment. Once there, Sarah sees the ghost of her mother. Later that night, Marta and her lesbian lover are brutally murdered. Mother of Tears licks up Marta's tears. This is just one of the worst scenes in the whole movie. We'll talk about it. Sarah sets off to see a man named Guglielmo, an alchemist. Once there, he allows Sarah to read the Three Mothers book written by Valeri, which we saw the guy in the last movie which gives sarah the knowledge to defeat the mother i'm assuming i don't i don't even know if that's true but that's what i think they're trying to imply once sarah finally finds the house of the third mother she stumbles into the police detective who also just so happens to be there he is captured but she uses her powers to go invisible she stumbles upon a disgusting witch orgy which is only in my cut apparently yeah i didn't have that at all in mine you're not missing anything. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, it was the movie censorship was pretty descriptive onto what the scene entailed. I was like, oh, yeah. No, that was totally not in my version. Oof. Just be thankful. <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah ultimately comes face to face with the third mother. They hit Sarah to the ground, but she uses a spear to rip off the mother's shirt and throws it into the fire. The entire underground temple thing caves in with the third mother being speared by a spike from the earth sarah nearly doesn't escape because she falls into an underground swamp of dead bodies 
but is rescued. It's like a bunch of sludge, and yeah, bodies are there too, and somehow this entraps her. Yeah. Uh, but she's rescued by the detectives. They climb out of a hole in the earth and laugh together as credits roll. Huh. So this is kind of like a poltergeist meets the empire strikes back yeah that's what i'm going with <laughs> no. pretty accurate uh, to be fair though this is not outside the realm of craziness when you look at it from a macro level than the other two especially suspiria because in terms of craziness they're both relatively off the wall than what you would normally see with the with the horror movie yeah that's true that being said suspiria does a way better job at presenting these weird ideas in a pretty somewhat organic way. Uh, this one, no. This one takes a more inferno approach, which I criticize her being realistic, but also trying to hold those dreamlike fantasy ideas and not mixing very well. Takes the realism part to another level, and things are just don't really work very well just in general for this movie. Right. And before we get into it, the reason I said it was kind of like Poltergeist is because Poltergeist begins with this... I don't know, Indian burial ground thing. It has to do with the burial ground, just like this one did. We'll be actually reviewing Poltergeist for our October special, so look out for that. And uh, then also in the end of Poltergeist, don't worry, this isn't a spoiler, but there is this like sludge they fall into with these dead bodies, just like in this. Right. And there is a very much uh, Luke Obi-Wan dynamic with the mother appearing like the Force Ghost, use the Force Luke. You know, go to Dagobah. I'm Argento must be a fan. <laughs> I'm guessing so. Uh, I it was also kind of interesting to me because these were the mother part, the mother kind of appearing at random points in the movie. Also, kind of felt like Lion King uh, at one moment or another. Yeah. Uh, especially the scene when she like disappears and she's like, "You have to use your powers," and ah, flies true. off or something. Reminded me a lot of in Lion King, but. Other than that, that's basically all. The only thing I could draw uh, a comparison to. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's funny. So uh, we get these opening credits, which our guests aren't half bad. We have this very omen-sounding music, and I had no idea the subtitle for this movie was The Third Mother. Yeah, I didn't even know that there was a subtitle for this movie until it came up. And from what I read... Argento didn't ever really want this called Mother of Tears. This was the distributor Medusa's idea. They said, well, that's what we're going to call it. And he, I guess he's like, okay. Anyways. That's interesting. Yeah, it seems like Medusa really had to hold him back for a number of things. The title, they want to control the title, uh, probably for marketing purposes, but content-wise as well, you can't do this. This has to be R-rated, has to be a bit more mainstream and, you know, for the opening of this movie, I'm going along with it. I'm actually finding it to be okay, decent, not very many flaws. They kind of find this MacGuffin, which is the urn, which is the catalyst for how everything gets started. Uh, the only point that I start to turn on the movie is with the introduction of Asia Argento. And uh, the other lady, Asia Argento is shockingly bad in this movie with her acting and line delivery, and I'm. This is when I start to get really concerned. Yeah, a number of things. Nothing really seems to uh, make an impact on her 
I think that's probably one of the biggest things that goes along with her acting because it oh he isn't that good. Uh, she doesn't really nothing really affects her. There are a lot of things that happen, but she never acts surprised. It's just like right. whatever, and then she just kind of moves on from there. Yeah, her. If we want to bring it up now, her acting in this movie is it's not good. It's really not good, and she's the main actress, which. Kind of is important to have a good a- actress for your main lead because they carry the whole movie. Oh, absolutely! And ah, uh, in the watching the featurettes for this movie, Dario and his daughter talk about like they're just creating this masterpiece together. And apparently, Asia had directed two movies prior to this, so she knew how to direct herself almost when uh filming this movie uh they're just saying they're they're coming from it uh, with a lot of knowledge prowess and experience i mean if you just watch these features act like they're just creating this you know the return of the king masterpiece here it's gonna get all these nominations it's so Great. great and then you watch the movie and i'm like oh my goodness the script I mean, I guess the script may, might not be that bad. I guess it's maybe just how it's delivered by the actors and actresses. I do think the script is fairly hokey and cheesy. But gosh, this beginning. And then we get these little demons that start jumping out. And they use like a, a pepper shaker to uh, squeeze her mouth open and wrap her up with their intestines. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I think the point when the movie lost me just really, really until the very end would have been the introduction of this monkey, which is why I laughed during the oh, summary yeah. because when this monkey is introduced and is really shown to be an evil antagonist force, at least in this scene, right. it's like, oh, you, oh, you've got to be kidding me because I don't really know what they're going for with this monkey. I don't really know what it's supposed to symbolize in this context. Had they made it a bit more clear, maybe it would have made it scarier. But it just kind of looks like a monkey, a white monkey, and it isn't scary at all. And it's kind of supposed to be that way because at some at one point in this opening, the monkey is chasing Asia around the museum, and she has to kind of evade this monkey until she eventually escapes. Yeah, it's just a monkey. Yeah, it it doesn't. It's weird and. I don't. This is when the movie just basically lost me for the rest of the runtime, and I was trying to get back into it. But this movie moves so fast and doesn't really do a good job at making things very memorable that it kind of can be a bit hard to get back into it after this. Oh, it is. I the only thing I could compare it to was I recently read The Golden Compass and I saw the movie. There's a monkey in The Golden Compass, which very much acts just like this monkey. And the Golden Compass came out before the book did. Before this, that's the only thing I could compare it to. But yeah, I don't even know why, what the monkey is, except he is sneaky to get into places and alert people to where their nemesis is. I don't know. But I'm also realizing, ah, okay, I have seen, you know, little promotions before for Dimension Extreme. And I always thought they looked terrible. And this is what I get right here. A Dimension Extreme. It's, well, even before I got Dimension Extreme previews that had language and nudity and 
lots of violence. And I'm like, okay, here's what I'm in for. And okay, if we thought Rob Zombie's movie was just a dimension movie and it had all that stuff in it, this uh, is even more violent, I would say. And with how much nudity we get and where it goes in the end. Yeah, I can see why it's Dimension Extreme. So it's gross here in the beginning. Yeah, Dario Argento... Now, okay. This is a horror movie. So having characters be cut off is, of course, nothing new. Even in crazy ways, once again, this is nothing new for at least Italian horror just in general because they always... At least from as far as I'm aware, they're usually pretty creative with that kind of a thing. I mean, the opening of Suspiria we praise because it is so creative as to how it crafts its opening. This is not that way. Uh, these two actresses, I would even say the girl, the second, like, the other co-worker that works there in the museum. I think, I think she has, no, she still has black hair. She's worse than Asia Argento. And so when she's killed off, there's nothing there. And the way that she was cut off is so A, over the top, and B, very grotesque that it pulls you out because, for, for one, this is Dario Argento. And you've, at least for me, I was pretty used and pretty, uh, ex- I was expecting there to be something, yes, crazy. But to this kind of a level, it it doesn't fit with the rest of his filmography. It, it, I guess it kind of fits with this movie. But with the rest of what else he's done previously, and especially the Three Mothers trilogy, this is way over the top. And sure, it could just be because of the advancements in technology. We can make things look more grotesque and more realistic than ever before. But at the same time, how much does that even elicit to this film? I mean, I get that the rest of the big, a big theme here is kind of just self-destruction and everything and doing the worst things possible to humankind, especially later on with the whole city. But at the same time, I feel like this kind of just goes a bit too far because there's really no reason for this to be this way except just to make it grotesque. More of shock horror, essentially, is what it's trying to be. Yeah, you're exactly right. There, He's just saying, I'm in a new millennium. I'm going to push the envelope with what I can do. In the features, he said he like really, he said, I'm not a violent person, but I feel like this level of violence is necessary for my movies. He doesn't qualify that with any other statement. And yeah, Suspiria and Inferno did have some violent, bloody sequences, although they didn't come across as very real. But to this level, it's very ridiculous and off-putting, I found it. And also when we do get into the nudity uh, if I'm remembering right, not, the previous two movies didn't have any nudity. So I don't know all of a sudden why everybody has to be naked, like in every other scene, it feels like. Yeah, and mine wasn't, I know that yours had, I think, a couple more shots of right. nudity and a definitely more extended shots. Mine uh, definitely cut down on quite a bit of that. So it wasn't nearly as bad, in my own opinion. But it is definitely there. Uh, it's definitely unavoidable uh, for this kind of a movie. Uh, there are there are times where I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can see why that's there. But then, especially towards the end, I'm just like, well, uh, okay, <laughs> why? <laughs> Especially in the final, the the final climax, uh, it and I guess really just the last forty five minutes yeah. or so, or beg the question as to okay, but why uh, a lot? Right. Yeah. I mean, when we do finally see the first mother, it's a really gratuitous shot 
of her topless. And then in my version, we saw her butt at least twice. And we do see uh, full frontal nudity in a couple sequences. Um, we also see the the lesbians in bed. We I had a lesbian sex scene um, with them naked in bed. Yeah, I had I had that too, but mine was mine was maybe a second long. Yours is def- I know that yours is longer. Right. I was also really worried because. So we see Sarah and Michael, they go home and go to bed together. And I'm like, please do not show Asia naked. That is your daughter. And that is just weird and going to freak me out. And we do. We get her naked in the shower later on. Great. Yeah, yeah we do. I think it's, I think that's the only right. time, though. And it's yeah, that's the only time. Yeah. But And then we get some really, really nasty nudity at the end, which I – uh, I had to avert my eyes for that one and just skip ahead a bit because it was, it's, it's like worse than anything you've seen in Hellraiser, which is saying something. And then, yeah, on the end, um, there's quite a few shots of her, uh, walking around fully naked from the front and the back. And, um, I'm pretty sure your cut just showed her from the top. Yeah, but I think, I, I don't think there was... There may have been one shot uh, where there was full frontal, but for the most part, uh, it's just the top and up. That's basically basically it's all it's all it's all medium shots if there is any nudity in this movie for my cut. Well, other than that, you it, you maybe could make the argument that there is some full frontal there towards the end, but I you also get shots of her worshippers topless. One of when they eat Paul, there's a topless person. When they come to Marta Colossi, she's semi-naked. You can see her breast and her leg and her follower is topless. I just really, at, at, at some point, it's like, why? I don't know. This is exploitative. Um, sometimes movies do use nudity for a purpose, whether it is um, showing some type of aborigines in Africa or somewhere in the old world, and that's just how they were. Okay, I can understand that. Um, I found the nudity in Blade Runner 2049 to be more so exhortative to kind of show us how the society is going to be in the future. This is just exploitative with the violence and the nudity. There's really no purpose to it except just to revel in lots of graphic nude images and violence. And I found it to be very uh, disgusting and off-putting. Right. And I mean, the argument could be made that some of the nudity here is definitely meant to show just kind of what's going to happen if these mothers take over, yeah. which is fine. And I do definitely see that. But there is a point where it's just like, okay, but we, I understand why this is here. You don't have to right. keep showing me this. I, like I said, there are moments, there are arguments that can be made for depending on the scene. But for the most part, the point has gotten across pretty clearly pretty early on, um, but then just continues to do it over and over and over again. Re- trying to, I guess, reinstate the same point, um, even though I got it the first time. I think Argento just thinks she looks really good and is getting away with shooting her naked, honestly. It's, that's very possible. <laughs> that's very um, possible. Well, uh, yeah, I texted Alan after the movie and I said, I feel like I need to take a shower after watching that. It's, ooh, it's a lot. Um, and, okay, this, I, I've got a lot of issues with these transition scenes if you can even call them that 
where it's just Rome and all of a sudden, once the mother puts on her, you know, way too short shirt, she, uh, people, this lady throws her baby off a bridge, which I didn't, I, I mean, at first I wasn't expecting that. So I'm like, what the heck? But I didn't find it to be very disturbing because it looks just like a toy. Oh, no, it's a toy. I rewound this scene <laughs> four times. It's it's a robot. Yeah. You can clearly see because she holds the baby over the bridge and the baby is just kind of ah, moving back and forth only very subtly. Even right then, you I, cut it, I could tell it's a robot. When she drops it, it hits the bottom part of the bridge and the hand falls off <laughs> and then lands in the lake. This is a robot. Oh, it looks so bad. It does. So that's why I'm like, <laughs> like what? I said, looks super. This fake scene in actually my notes. made me laugh, which is I hate to say, but it did. Oh yeah, there's a few others where I just started laughing, where it's just laughably bad in certain areas, and all of a sudden oh, yeah. people just start smashing their cars into each other and. I'm like, okay, and we get a number of these shots later on because it shows us how much Rome is going to pot, but they don't even think to call in the army, and you're telling me we don't get any shots of the Pope and the Vatican distressed about the state of Rome, and it's all unbelievable. I can't believe it. Not only that, but it takes the movie forever to bring up any kind of like newscast or to bring it up even just publicly to say, oh yeah, this is happening, by the yeah. way. Uh, isn't until much, much later into the movie when somebody mentions something that, oh yeah, by the way, haven't seen what's happening out in the streets? And then somehow Michael has a bunch of news clippings in a manila folder for some reason. And our main character has seen it, but then also hasn't seen it. Have you seen The Happening, Corbin? I have not seen it yet. The- a lot of this movie, especially these, especially these scenes, like with the public going crazy out in Italy, is very reminiscent of the happening. Uh, essentially, with the happening, this isn't really spoilers. There's this wind that kind of blows in, and it's I think it's global warming. I think is the big thing about it. This wind blows in and causes people to become suicidal. Uh, Sounds delightful. Essentially the exact same thing that happens here, only The Happening came out a year after this movie did. Maybe there's a connection. Mm, Imanite's trying to copy Argento. Picked the wrong one to copy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, okay. Also, we get another scene that I'm really surprised at of it's, um, it's not animated, but it is drawn pictures of this flashback in 1814 of Oscar de Valet, uh, yeah where, where does this come from yeah. where did this and come why? from i don't know it's not like it's a documentary or anything it just kind of comes up out of nowhere and it positions itself to tell this backstory of whatever happened during this one time i don't know why they couldn't just explain it having the basic uh shot reverse shot with the two characters talking i don't know it doesn't make oh. any sense I, I see my only thought is they they didn't have enough money in the budget to shoot a real flashback with real actors, so they thought, oh, this would be cool to have this drawing. And I mean, we've seen this in other movies before. For some reason, it took me to um, Watchmen: The Ultimate Cut, where Snyder put in the animated Tales of the Black Freighter into that movie. I didn't think that really worked for a three-hour movie with half an hour of animation interspersed throughout the runtime. 
this is weird. I'm really surprised it threw me off guard. It's not even cool or creative. And it's very confusing because right after this, the priest says, God's plan for us is a mystery to everyone but him. Monsignor Brusca wrote the letter and sent the contents to you for a reason. But that's never discussed later on. Right. I don't even know what to say at this point. Um, (laughs) Like I mentioned earlier, the scene when the movie lost me would have been the monkey. And so when it got to this point, I'm just like trying to stay on. I'm just like, okay, what are they saying? How does this tie into the rest of the movie? It really kind of does, but also kind of doesn't. Right. And I'm also just shocked at these goth vampire girls. They look so terrible. Oh, yeah. The little posse that's kind of all running together down the streets and stuff. Yeah, this is this is honestly just funny to me. And when we get to the airport, that's when I'm laughing, where these witches are just yelling. They're cussing in such a exaggerative way. The score is horrible. I'm I'm laughing. I'm like, what happened? Yeah, I okay. I understand. They're a bunch of witches. You know, that's the reason why they're making their way to essentially the mother's house to have this ritual to overthrow Rome or whatever. That's the whole reason why they're here. Fine, whatever. I don't care. But at the same time, why? I understand that maybe having one or two stalk Michael is fine. And having one or two stalk our main character, fine. But at the same same time, though, why did we need to have them as a collective being like just insanely annoying walking down the road or on into the train station and then have this elongated scene where two different people are trying to find our main character in the train station but then our main character also figures out that she has powers to make herself invisible that come out of nowhere and then aren't used for the rest of the movie up until the very end yeah this whole train scene is so disconnected from the rest of the movie, but at the same time, so illogical as to how we even got here, that it is just funny. Well, yes, and I know you mentioned earlier how Asia doesn't really react to anything that happens, and one of the scenes I really noticed that in was when we learned Michael's son Paul has been abducted. Sarah isn't even concerned. Yeah, she, I mean, if you were just to read her body language, it's as if she doesn't really care. Yeah. Okay, and I also was confused because uh, the son Paul disappears and only in just this random shot later on do we see this really fake looking body being cannibalized. I had no idea that was Paul until I don't even remember how I figured it out later on, but I was like, oh, okay, that's him. Why are we never knew witches were cannibals? Right, they uh. We get one brief shot of Paul before he disappears, right, yep. or really before anything happens. It's not even a close-up. Uh, it's him in the distance. Yeah, it's it's a yeah, it's a medium. I guess actually it's a wide shot of yeah. him. Yeah, we only get one establishing shot of who Paul is, um, aside from a voice. Very confusing. And then next thing we know, he's dead. The next time we see him, yeah, I don't know. I, it's only there to show, oh, this is actually really spooky, and that Michael really should be messing with whatever he's messing with. <laughs> But then Michael disappears halfway through this movie, and we focus only on Asia as she figures out the way to defeat the next, the, the last mother. 
Uh, that's the whole movie after the second half. Yeah. Uh, once Michael goes missing. And for so- some reason, Sarah decides to do research on the significant of three sirens, three fates. We've got this in like almost every movie before, but I have no idea why she even decides to look into this. <sighs> there's no explanation. I don't either. I I think that there's a connection with the box that they get, I guess the urn that they, they receive that. I, I mean, really, it doesn't really matter uh, if you really think about it in the grand scheme of the whole movie. Yeah. And I guess j- now jumping back to this very long train scene, which I found to be very confusing. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll try and be a little positive here. I guess it's kind of creepy with the strings for the soundtrack and there's creepy Asian woman who has these weird front teeth trying to peer in at her and she feels trapped. Uh, That's really my only... Uh, Okay, also when Sarah's running to get away from them to get on the train, there's nearly a complete ripoff of Bernard Herrmann's Psycho score here. Um, I'm like, oh, wow, that's... The score is so inconsistent here where there's really yeah. only one or two moments where I found it to be effective. Yeah, and just kind of going on with the score, one of the makings of a bad movie if, is if there's constant music happening in mm. the scene. Um, that happens a lot mm-hmm. in this movie. I don't know what the entire reason would be for that to happen. I'm just going to go off on a limb and say is probably the, the dialogue mixing is bad. So they have to overlay that to mask it with music. No confirmation of that. Yeah, that makes but sense. But yeah, makings of a bad movie, number one, is you have constant music almost everywhere. Even when it's not needed in the scene, it's there. Yeah, and I guess finally she kills her by smashing her head in. And I've only seen something similar to this in the uh, Nicholas Winding Refn movie Drive with Ryan Gosling. Towards the end when he does this, it's quite graphic, but it's only one quick shot and it's very effective. This is, once again, just silly violence. Just Let's just be graphic because we can. And why would you ever right. even smash somebody's head like this after you knocked them out? I mean... Right. What incentive does she have to kill this person? Especially in such a she brutal way. She looked at her weird? <laughs> yeah. The, the only way... The only thing... The only relationship that these two have is that our main character noticed that she was following her. That's really about it, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, and the police is like, okay, clearly she saw her, uh, murder the Silva guy, so then she decided to murder her. He, just, he states it as a fact, and when that's clearly not true. And, and I liked when right. the main detective says, Silva was an effing gorilla and armed. And he says, right. there's more to this case than we thought. <laughs> oh, really, detective? Uh, you think? Yeah. The, uh, the the detective on this case, they really just like to show up at just random points of this movie, um, especially towards the end when right before they walk down into the witch's house, the witch's lair, I guess, yeah. is when he just kind of shows up that out of nowhere. Ridiculous. Yeah, I was a bit confused as to why they are chasing Asia Argento yep, here. Me too. It doesn't make much sense. We get later that, oh yeah, they're trying to find her because she's a suspect and they go on, th- on the news and say, oh yeah, if you see her, tell us. That made sense, but at the time, it's just like, what? Yeah, but the problem is that sequence is out of order because 
we don't see her on the news until nearly the very end, right before she sets off to the house. Right. And then, exactly. yeah, because I'm like, why did they bring like seven police officers and detectives or eight just to track down this one woman all of a sudden? And they knew right. she was going to the train station? Ah. Right. And I mean, one line of dialogue could have fixed this. Maybe if they did a shortcut or maybe somebody said something about, hey, be careful, the de- the police are probably trying to find you as a suspect. Way to fix this whole thing. But that never happens. Uh, and I'm also confused why with aesthetically, this looks nothing like the previous two movies. Right. But to be fair, Inferno really didn't look too much like Suspiria either. Yeah, that's Uh, true. It didn't, but at least it had a bit of the same usages of blue and red. It had some creepy sets. I would say it still had a little bit of the same feeling, but this kind of seems to ditch all of those colors, except for one shot at the end when she's looking at the house. There's this homage shot of blue and red that they called out in the special features. Anyways, I'm just yeah. disappointed that we're not getting some of this um, similar aesthetics. It goes for more of this realistic look because it is shooting on real locations. Right. And I mean, I've yeah, I'm kind of with you. I would have really enjoyed if they kind of went back to what Suspiria was, where they really pushed those colors, those primary colors, especially red. There are quite a number of red shots in this movie, or at least the color red is used pretty heavily as it was in the last two but it's pretty subtle compared to the last two it's very realistic colors we're kind of desaturating the color here like every other horror movie instead of oversaturating like we have before yeah the colors in this is what honestly makes this film also kind of boring uh because the last two even inferno which was like i mentioned in that one not as engaging because of its aesthetic uh that still had some kind of level some level of argentoness to it which was overemphasizing the color this one doesn't do that it's very realistic it's very a lot of browns a lot of grays uh there is more color than you would probably typically see but not by the marginal amount that we've had before which is unfortunate because it would have been great to see argento kind of go back to what he was doing with the suspiria having a lot of color we don't do that and that kind of makes it boring to be honest yeah there's nothing really visually intriguing for me to latch onto with this movie it just seems fairly kind of -of run-of-the-mill honestly with nothing unique and that's disappointing because from everything i've seen argento is a very unique director with the style that he brings and i don't know why he decided to change a lot of the things he did especially for the third installment in a trilogy where you've kind of been building certain worlds and uh, visuals within them and then he does seem to just kind of ditch that Um, not completely but for the most part and we're 43 minutes in and I feel like nothing of significance has happened and I do feel this way with the other two movies as well Um, yeah you're just kind of going into the movie and nothing's really going on yeah, I mean there has at least been there has at least been some stuff, but they're pretty minor. Uh, like the train station scene is still getting to me. Why it's <laughs> so disconnected from the rest of the movie? Uh, at least, at least when she gets to fa- the father here in a little bit, 
we get some kind of exposition as to what's happening. And people are, like, essentially clawing at his door to exercise them or to bless them. This makes a lot of sense. Like, okay, finally, there's some, some kind of realistic substance that actually has some weight to it in this movie. Uh, which is then kind of expounded upon when the father dies, makes kind of makes it to be a bit spooky at this point. At this movie, at this point in the movie, compared to everything else that we've I seen, I'm getting a course. bit of this Resident Evil Four vibe with this creepy village and the creepy villagers surrounding them and kind of coming after them. I don't know. I know you've played that game. Did it give you any of those thoughts at all? Well, Resident Evil Four is a bit different. Uh, that the town, uh, it's kind of hard to explain. I just, They're more of a I just, cult. Yeah, I didn't uh, mean like are. Uh, on the basis of the story. I just meant visually it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Visually, I can I can see where you draw that conclusion. And we get a lot of exposition here. Finally, we get to know about Sarah's past, which I don't think anybody really cared about. I don't even know why um, yeah. Marta Colossi just so happens to be here at the same time as Sarah, unless she was communing with the spirit or something of the mom. I have a hard time believing that this Catholic priest would be working with this uh, white witch or healer or whoever it is. Um, I found this to be very confusing and mostly ridiculous. But I guess if we're going to tie it back to Suspiria and, you know, talk about the Black Queen and Mother Suspiria, I guess it's a, I guess it's a satisfying tie back. Yeah, we do get, I mean, it is nice that this movie does kind of connect the other two movies to it. And they're all in this really, they're all in this universe. It's a trilogy. We actually, they all actually connect somehow. Uh, but to be honest, the connection is rather weak. Um, uh, Elsa, or I guess Elise, is it Elise or Elsa, the one who kills or tries to kill the mother first, the mother of size? Uh, Elisa. Okay, Elisa. So both. Uh, yeah. So essentially, we get, find out here that Elisa tried to kill the mother of size, failed, and she died. But then Susie came in and actually killed the mother of uh, mother superior, mater superiorum. Yes. And then whatever happened in Inferno, I mean, the connections there, I just feel like it's a little bit weak, just kind of grabbing at straws to connect Suspiria to the rest, the other two movies of this uh, this trilogy. It, it, it is weak, um, but at least they did something. Right, right. It felt like they weren't going to do anything. Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, the next violent scene we get, I did have to look away because at least in my cut, it's very graphic how she's, uh, this lady slashes the father's throat, his foot, his face, a bunch, Mm -hmm. and then her own throat. Uh, yeah, very graphic and off-putting. Yeah, he, now I know in your cut, she did cut the Achilles heel of the priest. That I didn't have, uh, and it's It's a bit shorter than yours, but for the most part, uh yeah we find out well we see her kill the priest or i guess the the father here uh, and so he dies before he really has any chance to do anything so all hope is uh, more or less becoming lost at this point at, at this point it really, really wasn't all that surprising that he died it, i was like okay when it happens like well duh that kind of has to happen for this movie it makes a lot of sense whatever 
So is this where we hear first hear the name Guglielmo? With the I think priest? yeah. I think the father mentions of mentions Guglielmo that he okay. says you have to go to him. He will know what to do. Okay, yeah, because I was once again lost the connection with Guglielmo. Right. All of these connections, how they get to these pivotal people that help Sarah on her journey, they're quite spaced out and they're not. They're loosely connected, I feel. Uh, but also, so witches can track you through your cell phone? Yeah, what? It's a great cheesy scene. I mean, it's on par with like the room or Birdemic where they're like, are you crazy? You know, they can track you with the cell phone, right? Oh, yeah. Good thinking. Throws it out the window. And then she hands her, her phone number and says, yeah. call me if you need me. Yeah. In the same scene. <laughs> Ah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, okay, maybe the con- the thing the maybe the connection can be made that oh, Michael is being tracked by the witches, so that's how they're able to track her is through Michael. But they never say that. So I don't know. The next logical explanation is that they have her phone tapped. Yeah, you're. Uh, yeah, don't give this movie too much credit. I, I'm trying suspect. not to, but I'm trying to put logic to what I'm seeing because. I, I need some kind of ground level to to piece this movie together. Well, and then we get a, when she comes to her apartment, a CGI face pushes through oh. her door, which is, we first saw this in Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street, where she's dreaming and he pushes through the wall. It was fairly effective. Mm-hmm. But honestly, Argento just cribs off of so many different movie elements and then splices them together. And this is just another one he's just ripping off. This is bad <laughs> just yeah. plain and simple this is not good this reminds me of that scene from sinister when he has a picture of bagul on his laptop and the face of bagul goes and like looks at him oh, from his yeah. laptop and then turns back mm-hmm. yes it's like it's like almost exactly like that but from argento it's not good it's really not good no it's not uh what also isn't good is when we get marta blowing this powder into the air <sighs> And we see the spirits of nearly 3,000 years floating around. What is the point of this? It's not used in the end to help her in some way. Right. Um, it could have been like in The Return of the King when Aragorn uses the spirits of the ghost to help him fight in the end. I thought, hey, maybe that's what they're going to do with this. No. No. Just Let's just throw it in there for no reason. The only thing I can think is so we can introduce the mother, uh, the mother's ghost. But then she continues to come back without the dust more than one time in the throughout the rest of the movie. That's the only thing I can only explanation I can give to you is because they wanted to show they wanted to get the mother's ghost in here somehow. But didn't I guess didn't think about that she also needed this little puff for later in the movie when her mother comes out and she just kind of comes out anyways. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to piece it together. Okay. Well, and not to mention when she grabs michael or he grabs her and then she drags him to hell or some kind of portal later on when oh um, sarah's running from michael on fire which they were very proud of they were able to achieve with cgi and practical effects i have no words for this scene um I don't know if it's a stroke of genius or one of the worst things I've ever seen. Um, 
is kind of in between one of those. It's 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 horrid. This at least at least this one scene when Michael's on fire and grabs her mother and they fly into this portal and then they're both gone forever and we never see either of them ever again for the rest of the runtime. Well, I digress. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure right before that she said, like, I'm going to have to leave you now. You're going to have to do this on your own. And then she, like, jumps out and saves her. Or the movie doesn't follow its own rules with how these things are established. It's just a mess. It's all over the place. And before we get too far ahead, I find this whole scene to be probably one of the worst in the whole movie where we get this. I I kind of figured that uh, Marta and this lady were lesbians although that lady looked pretty young so i was like is that her daughter nope i get to see him topless in bed together great that's not what i wanted to see and sarah gets out of bed and this demon jumps up and just stands there and screams you remember that oh yeah this scene Uh, yes and we get this weird bald guy with the monkey and I love the scene where the probably my favorite scene in the whole movie when the monkey is just searching through the bed like he's trying to look yep. for her and clearly there's nobody there. And he's just like pulling the covers and looking around. And uh, so these people get stabbed in the eyes. They get stabbed in places I'm not even going to mention. Uh, I found that to be just that was the really sick part of this. We get more topless women. The mother licks her tears up. At this point, I I'm just done with this movie (laughs) yeah this scene was pretty toned down for the r-rated version i know that's for a fact Uh, it was graphic for mine (laughs) yeah i mean don't get me wrong it is still pretty graphic yeah just in general uh but for the rated for the r-rated mpaa r-rated version this is more tame than yours is but even then uh just yeah, the guy yelling into the phone when our main character runs out and tries to call her friend to tell her to get out of the house. Oh, yes. Or to alarm her to get out of the house. And I, then he screams with his mouth open forever. I'm pretty sure that was CGI with his mouth open oh, that, yeah, it was that bad. large. Yeah, it's it's not good. This whole scene is just, it's it's bad. Oh, it it, it, it kind of feels like thing. there are big chunks in this movie that are just really, really bad. This is one of them. It, it is. And I am I think all of the scenes with Sarah and Elisa are terrible as well. The dialogue is terrible. How yeah. the mom's just floating around out in public. Yeah. And uh, at first, when she first sees her, she just cries like a baby. And says, mommy, mommy, don't leave me. And then she said, I'm so mad at you for leaving me. And I, I'm like, she didn't leave her. She died in a car accident. What? Right. Right. I... No. Well, not to mention, I am so confused this whole time because I think this is Elise Van Stan Adler from Inferno, who uh, I'm thinking they just massive retcon the whole thing. I thought, why didn't she use her powers in Inferno? Same actress, different character with the same name, but changed by the last letter instead of an E, it's an A this time. So right. thanks for confusing us. Archie. Yeah, why... Why were their names so similar? Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, also, not to mention, we're getting close to the end here. The Guglielmo scene is so weird where he blows perfume on her face and looks at her eyeballs. And then they let her read the book. 
somehow he's able to okay i can understand the part when he essentially freezes her whatever but i'm just confused as to how he can tell that she's that she has certain powers because her eyes have these blue squiggly things in them that he could only see with this special lens it's that's the eye is cgi by the way Okay, so uh, we also, I'm kind of confused because we do we do get a legitimate retcon here. Oh, I don't think it's legitimate, but uh, we learned that a great Roman alchemist named Varelli lived in this villa. Okay, Varelli is the guy who wrote the Three Mothers book, and he is in the end of Inferno. But right. he's just an old man, but according to this, he would have to be hundreds of years old. Right. Maybe he is, and Inferno just didn't explain it. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why they keep this book locked in a safe, I guess, because every time you pick up the book, you get dead like an Inferno. But that's not really true. Somebody would have had to put it on the library shelf. I don't know. This is all silly, and I don't like that they got a new actor to reread these lines from the book because the actor from the old one was, the voice actor was very good. Very effective. Yeah. This one is not as much. Yeah. Yeah, the voice acting isn't that well. Agree. The voice acting just in general, the, the acting on average is just not great. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so do you think when she's reading this book, it tells her that the way to defeat the third mother is to rip off her shirt and throw it in the fire? Because why, why else is she reading the book, though? I don't. He does mention, Gigliama does mention that, oh, yeah, you'll find your answer here. Right. Uh, in his book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then we get this really pointlessly long car montage of her driving, looking around in the back of a taxi with a really bad score to go with it. This scene takes forever. She's just looking around, driving around, and it's just going on and on. And people are just, it's like the purge is happening here in Rome where uh, it's just so bad. And she finally finds the house. The house is creepy. I I guess I like it. Um but then once again, I'm like, oh, wow, okay. I'm, I'm kind of a little bit more invested now. My interest has been piqued because I've pretty much checked out this whole time. And I'm like, okay, this is just like Susie sneaking in to the place. She found the secret place. No, it still takes us like another 20 minutes for her to actually get there. So it really ruins the tension yeah. when she comes face to face with a homeless man. Yeah, not to mention that it takes forever for it to do anything because it's a one- it's an, it's an unbroken shot, I'm guessing, for about two and a half minutes yeah. of her walking through this house. Yes. Which would be fine if there was something in this house. This house is empty. Yeah. Even the big corridor in the in the center has nothing to it. It's all it's, it's all empty, which makes the scene of her walking through the house really boring. Then she meets the old man from scene 24 in the next scene, and they have this conversation about him saying, have you come to interview me? And she goes, sure, yeah. how long have you lived here? And he goes, and he goes, oh, yeah, since the Nazis. And this goes on and she walks <laughs> away from it him. It. Yep. This was hilarious because just some random guy, 
at the moment we know it's just some random guy, is living here and he's so scared that he's going to report her that he says, no, don't do it. I need to live somewhere. Yeah. Come to find out he's in cahoots with the rest, with the bald guy we saw earlier. Well, and I laughed out loud. I seriously started laughing when this bald guy with the knife runs out and just gives this laughable line delivery. It's horrible. Yes, that was just knowing that he was a part of it, too, was also pretty funny. I was hoping that it would just be some random old guy that just kind of lives in this basement. (laughs) Right. But uh, we have to have it connect to something. Um, So I guess that's a kind of a plus that he's not there to waste space. That that's really grasping his draws. Well, and I was very unsatisfied by how the entrance is resolved. In Suspiria, I'm not going to ruin it. I thought it was pretty well done. I liked that a lot there in the end. I I was really uh, I was really invested in it. It was intense. This she just pushes in these symbols, and the door opens, and then we get an extremely elongated sequence of her. Going through these catacombs, and yeah, uh, this is horribly paced because all tension is lost. Right, and at least in Suspiria, if they had no music, it would be probably be just as boring as this is. But Suspiria had that great score to it, which made it so much fun to watch. This has moments where it tries to be the Suspiria score and totally doesn't work. This is the scene where, because of the bad music and because of the bad aesthetic, or I guess. Not the bad aesthetic, but the aesthetic that isn't Suspiria, it makes it kind of boring. Not to mention the investigator detective guy comes out of nowhere for this one scene and then disappears again after he's captured. Yeah, people are snuck up and captured so easily in this movie. Like, I don't even know how that happens. Like, how could somebody come straight up on you and you not even realize? Right. Right. And finally we get to see the... She comes to the chamber which looks horrible. This set yeah. is B-movie terrible. Uh, the set in Inferno was great. It really built up from Suspiria. It was big and ominous. This looks so bad. I mean, this looks like you're watching something that, you know, a couple of, uh, gosh, I don't even know, just threw together. It's also goofy. TV quality is a great great comparison I made to a lot of the scenes in this movie. Oh, yeah, that's that's a very good point. It's very TV quality, low budget. Also, we see all these witches coming in from everywhere, and we've got, like, maybe at most 50 people in this room. Yeah, even then, that'd be, I would say, that'd be pushing it. Yeah, um, and we just get her, we get to watch the mother, at least in my version, just basically walk a runway in heels naked. And um, we get to watch people's arms get chopped off. <laughs> uh, women kissing. Weird. Scene. It's really weird. And they just uh, punch her and throw Sarah down. And she just. I love how they say, like, nothing can stop us now. And she just runs up and rips her tunic off and throws it in the fire. And. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, this was this is probably the worst climax we could have hoped for for the three mothers. Yeah, I was wondering how they would handle it, how they would handle the... Because, okay, in the last two, the way that they defeat the mothers is with fire. They burn down the entirety of the Dance Academy uh, in the first one. They burn down the mother's home and the hotel in the second one. How are they going to burn down stone catacombs? 
Yeah. Somehow they figure out how to do it. It's an earthquake, actually, I guess. But there's also fire because they take the cloak off. I guess it's, I guess it's considered the talisman. Take the talisman off of the mother. Put it into one of the uh, flames, uh, one of the torches that's there. And that's it. And then the whole thing just starts falling apart. And she runs out. And she gets Scott. It, it's... <sighs> It feels so unsatisfying. I mean, okay, to be fair, the other two also had somewhat unsatisfying endings because it, like you were, like you had mentioned in both of those, it just feels like, oops, uh, figured it out. Whereas in this one, it really just kind of feels like, okay, if I just make this up, then I can do it. And she finds a way somehow in the moment to, and she only goes, she runs on luck too, just to go, okay, if I put it in the fire, then it'll burn, which is, of course is logical. But at the same time, it's some kind of magical talisman. This is probably this is easily the most unsatisfying ending than we've gotten in the last two. I would definitely agree. Even though the last one had a hokey element to it, I found it to still be mm-hmm. very effective, very well shot. Um, this I can't say. I, I it's very hokey, but it's not well shot. It's very ultimately disappointing. And once again, my biggest issue with these movies is usually the hero has to find out the villain's weakness and that's how they're going to defeat them these movies don't ever give any explanation for any of that and like i said i think it would have been best if there was um, some type of religious christian artifact that they needed to defeat the evil like i said in the omen they had to use those knives to defeat him Um, most recently in the nun they set up this uh, artifact they had to go find in order to defeat Valak the nun. Like you said, it's like, ah, I'm going to try something here. I'm going to stab you. Uh, Oh, it worked. And that's just, it just feels so lazy. It just feels so lazy that they don't take time to invest anything into crafting something deep. I will say this movie is probably more narrative driven than maybe the previous two. I don't know. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, to be fair, the narrative isn't all that great, right. but it is more story-driven than the last two. Yeah. Especially comparing it to Suspiria, because that one really didn't... That one wasn't focused nearly as, nearly as much on that as it was with the other two. True. I, I just find it to be ridiculous. When she's trying to leave, she falls yeah. into this slimy tunnel. Yeah. She just can't figure out how to stand up. It's like not even a foot of it's water. Like- and... <laughs> Uh, thankfully the detective is like standing there and he's like, just, just get up and just like pulls her up. And then somehow they come straight, straight up vertical out of this giant hole onto this horrible, abysmal green screen. And, uh, she laughs, which is very scary laugh. He does too. Okay. Did you think he acts like it's raining? Cause he like holds his hands out like this and looks around like it's raining, like the end of, um, the, the previous two movies, they both ended with fire and rain. Maybe That's I think true. they forgot to uh, CGI the rain in because I guarantee he's sitting there like, ha ha ha, like holding his hand out and there's no rain. That's true. Uh, I, I mean, it is possible that they forgot to do that. Yeah, this green screen is it's not good. Uh, is the house behind them? I know that it was kind of falling over, which also looked really bad. Uh, in a shot previous before they exited the build, before they exited this this cat these catacombs, uh, do you remember seeing the house behind them? Um, the only thing I remember is seeing it looked to me like some type of lawn and some type of 
right. s- small structure in the background. I couldn't even make out what anything was. It just looked like they popped up in some park in Rome. I don't know. <laughs> it's like uh, as above, so below. They turn out in the opposite side of Paris oh, or something gosh. like that. Anyways, yeah, this this last shot is it's 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 pretty dang bad. Why I mean, are you laughing beats me. I uh, okay. I don't know. I, I mean, Susie Banyan does seemingly laugh. Right. I guess you could view it that way. Um, there's no laughing in the end of Inferno, which I thought was the right move, even though I was laughing a bit at that skeleton Party yeah. City costume. Um, but why in the world are they laughing? I mean, he just got stabbed in the chest. Yeah, he's totally fine, and, by the way. Right. Yeah. I totally nothing wrong with him. Right. I like how they, he tries to grab her hand. She hugs him instead. They laugh, cut to the title and credits and yep. It was horrible. Right. Thanks, Argento. I mean, it, I, I would have been just fine without this movie. Yeah. It's like every, the ending is just like every other. Or I guess the the cut to credits is like the last two movies. It's just a straight, abrupt, hard cut to the credits. I think this one works a Suspiria little bit better. The best. Yeah. I think that this one works a little bit better because there actually is some kind of lead into it. The last two are just kind of sure. hard cut. Or I guess Suspiria isn't really a hard cut, but whatever. The credits just begin. The end of the movie just is there once everything's done for, once everything's finished. This one, I think, has a better yeah. bit of a better lead into it, but I think Suspiria's is still the best because it is just like because of that dream-like quality. It's like okay, dream's over. Yeah. Doesn't really yeah. work it's... for anything else though, even though this one is the best. Yeah, I agree with that. The oh, so I found it interesting. Argento said in the special features that the three mothers are done, but he said now that mind you, this is back in two thousand six or seven. He said that he's not opposed to returning to this world by making a prequel about one of the mothers. Um, I know in Suspiria, we got a little bit of backstory about uh, the Black Queen, Mother Suspiriorum. That was a long time ago. That was over a decade ago. And now with the remake of Suspiria, it's very unlikely we would ever get any prequel from Argento, especially since this movie was received so poorly. Yeah. And here's also kind of the other thing. Well, not only because we have a, a remake coming out, but at the same time, Suspiria is really the most profitable one out of the three of them. Nobody really... There are very few people, unless they have specifically went out of their way to find it, actually know of the other two that exist, Mother of Tears and Inferno. So that's definitely part of the issue. They could He could do a prequel, but at the same time, I don't think he really needs to do a prequel. I don't think it's really necessary. Oh, I hope he doesn't after seeing something like this. The new Suspiria looks to be great, mm-hmm. just judging by the trailer. I'm completely content with that. I don't want Argento, sadly. I have to say that coming back to this series. Right. And I mean, even then, it's not supposed to be a remake. It's just kind of taking ideas from the original Suspiria and putting it, giving it a new life, essentially. It's not really a remake per se, which I'm very interested in. So, Alan... Yeah. So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Mother of Tears, the third mother? Uh, so I haven't seen this one before. This is my first time watching it, first time experiencing Mother of Tears. I've only seen Inferno t- 
twice because we had to review it for the podcast, and I watched it once before that, and I've seen Suspiria about four times. I don't think I'm ever going to return to Mother of Tears. It's not great. It's actually pretty bad. <laughs> Which is unfortunate because Suspiria was so good. I mean, comparatively speaking. Uh, yes, Suspiria may not be a perfect movie, but it did something very different than what we've seen before. This one, although it does kind of take its violence to the next level, which is what really Italian horror has, I guess, kind of been known to do, or at least in Argento's, uh, as far as I know, in Argento's favor, that's something he's very well known for. He's a very, he's considered to be one of the masters of horror. I don't like this one, like at all. I mean, if there were things in it that made it so bad that it's good, then I would be apt to return to it, but there really isn't. There are maybe a couple of moments, like the monkey, or the entire train scene, or a couple other things that I mentioned before. There are moments when it's funny, but they're not really worth returning to watch again because they are that funny. They're, the movie does not... The movie is not sellable because of those reasons. That being said, I kind of agree with whatever the critics have said when this movie was released. It's kind of just there to be as gross as it possibly can be. There is, I guess there is kind of a point to it because in the end, once again, the three mothers are defeated completely. But this is also a pretty weak third installment, final installment of a trilogy uh, that began so strong. Uh, to end on, which is unfortunate. Now, that being said, is there anything good with Mother of Tears? Uh, I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. I've definitely seen worse, but having me compare it to The Happening is definitely not something that I should have ever have said. Because, at least with The Happening, although it is terrible, it is so much fun to watch because it is just a train wreck. This one, yes, it is not good. It's pretty... It's, it's bad. It's really bad. But it's not... The happening levels of bad or the room levels of bad it's not one of those which also kind of makes it unfortunate i'm never going to return to this two out of ten it's a very very hard not recommend there's no reason to watch it really just stick with suspiria that's all i have to say that's the best one inferno if you want to watch it fine whatever go ahead but it's nothing impressive mother of tears just don't even try with this one it's not worth your time I'll make this short. Mother of Tears is nothing but an exploitation movie of nudity and gore. Unfortunately, Argento ditches crafting a creepy atmosphere, building incredible sets, and mesmerizing us with haunting ambiance. There's nothing here. Horrible acting with awful line delivery, a really stupid plot, forgettable camera work, downright hokey spiritual elements, and tons of graphic nudity and some sickening vomit-inducing gore make Mother of Tears a waste of time and a disgusting, repulsive movie, one that would make Pinhead sick. In fact, it's extremely offensive. I'm extremely disappointed. After waiting 27 years, Argento decided to ditch everything he built in the first two and instead opt for a lackluster movie with no style or substance. Listeners, please stay away. Do not watch this at all costs. I feel like I have a whole new appreciation for Inferno, and especially for Suspiria, neither of which even feel remotely related to this movie. I'm giving Mother of Tears 1 star out of 10 with the strongest of not recommends possible. Please stay away. I, I just... 
especially if you see the unrated cut. I find it to be morally offensive. Um, just I, I just don't think I can encourage people to sit through this amount of nudity and violence, ultimately seemingly for no reason, because nothing comes of it except just to kind of revel in that uh, exploitation aspect of the movie, and we should not celebrate or encourage exploitation in movies. So, yeah, pretty disappointed with this. I couldn't wait to get the disc out of my house. <laughs> uh, it just made me feel very icky after watching it. So I am, though, glad that we watched it, listeners, because the movie Suspiria is coming out very soon. You're going to be hearing a lot about Suspiria Inferno, Mother of Tears. So hopefully you can listen to these podcasts and decide for yourselves whether you want to watch these or not by hearing our thoughts on them. And hopefully we'll have saved you some shock by if you did want to pick this up and you didn't realize all of the content contained within it. So hopefully we kind of saved you uh helped clean up your mind a little bit there <laughs> right and now to be fair i have seen quite a number of argento flicks uh yeah mother of tears mother of tears is definitely the worst but i think that also may come with age because he was born in 1940 so he's getting pretty old so i think that that's definitely part of it as to why his i mean and i know now that his newer movies are just not really regarded as being that great than his older stuff uh, so that is definitely something to take into consideration. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on our Three Mothers Retrospective series. The Retrospective series is not completely over just yet. In a little over, well, it's probably about a month and a half at this point, we will be coming back to review the new theatrical film Suspiria. I'm very excited to go see that little apprehensive because it looks to be quite dark so hopefully it doesn't stray into anything too crazy or insane but i i can't say yet uh we'll see but uh thanks alan for joining me on this three mothers series absolutely i'm curious to see what the new suspiria has i'm pretty competent i guess i'm pretty trustworthy of the new director at least in terms of how it's going to look i'm sure to look fantastic because uh, call me by your name despite of what people thought about it or what people do think about it I think it's a gorgeous looking movie so I'm excited to see it at least that much we'll see how it goes I can't put too much on the phone right now we'll also be finishing up in well almost uh, just a month to the day in about four weeks we'll be coming to you with the final installment in our Halloween long running retrospective series about a review a month. That's been really fun doing that throughout the whole year. Um, I'm really excited for this new movie. I think it's going to be the sequel that we've never got, uh, but hopefully it's it'll live up to that. Uh, so I believe it's next Monday we will have uh, Halloween 10 uh, for you probably. Well, actually that one's a bit different. It's a bit weird. The schedule is hard to work with that one will actually come out during the middle of the week okay no other time for it to come out it's guy and madeline on a park bench that'll be out next monday gotcha. which begins so excited our damien chazelle retrospective gonna do all of his movies all three of them 
technically four once we get the first man yes so we will be kicking off the damien chazelle series we're getting in early because he's definitely a director to watch his new movie first man with ryan gosling is releasing this november i'm quite excited for that considering his previous film well i guess i'll save my thoughts for it but uh oh it's, it's... i can't wait to get to that because i also have a story with that movie too okay well i'm interested to hear the story i don't think i've heard it before Oh, I've got a bit of a story involving me and Alan and how he got mad at me. Uh, I'm going to save the story till we, oh, re- yeah, 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 yeah. till we review La La Land. It's a funny story. But once again, listeners, thank you so much. We also do have um, some more classic films coming to you very soon. We've got the Poltergeist Halloween special. We do have the Nightmare Before Christmas, Christmas type special uh, coming to you very soon. Uh, We've got a lot of other things planned for you, so make sure to stay tuned. If you haven't seen any reviews on the YouTube channel for a reason, that's because MoviePass is now gone from my life. They decided to go crazy, and the AMC is clear across (laughs) town, so I didn't really want to drive all the way across town every single week. So I did pick up a Netflix DVD subscription, so I will be watching all of those new movies as soon as they come out on disc until... There appears a more lucrative option for me to journey back to the theater. But we do have reviews of Mission Impossible Fallout, The Meg, uh, The Nun, all of those brand new movies, and some other 2018 reviews that I'm going back rewatching, not, not rewatching, just watching those movies and putting those reviews up as well. So we've got a lot of 2018 reviews uh, up on the website for you to go and read. And if you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll never miss a beat. Or if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter, you'll also get all of those updates as well for everything we put out. And if you'd like to receive some exclusive bonus content, then you can head over to our Patreon page. It's in the description below in nice big blue letters uh, for you to click on. Very easy and accessible. For just the price of a cup of coffee, you'll get exclusive access to our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, access to the feeds, some special reviews, and bonus podcasts, audio commentaries. Uh, you can ask us any questions you want, and you'll even we'll even set up a time for all of us to just click play on a movie to watch it, and as we watch it, there'll just be a discussion feed up where you can post questions about the movie or about anything, and we'll talk to you about that as well. So there's lots of ways uh, to get some great extra content from us, very cheap, or to even interact with us and uh, get some insights on our thoughts on uh, the latest movie news or some older movies as well. Anything you want to ask us, you can uh, come right over there. We really appreciate the support. In order to uh, keep Silver Screen Guide going, it's not necessarily cheap to do all of this, but with your support and help, uh, it's very helpful, and that's how we're able to do it. So uh, make sure to share Silver Screen Guide with your friends. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So share in the experience, share Silver Screen Guide, like and subscribe, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it because that does help us get found by more people for them to enjoy as well. So once again, listeners, thank you for joining us on Mother of Tears. I know it's a little bit out of our wheelhouse. It's a little bit harder to find. It's a little different of a movie than what we usually talk about. But we do different things here once in a while. And we'll be coming back to you very soon with some uh, more seasonal offerings of reviews and some uh, newer content as well. So thanks again, listeners, and we'll catch you next time.